Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking about Australian food, PETA's squawking truck, and what makes a neighborhood restaurant so special. Then we'll be joined by special guest Ron Ruggles of Nation's Restaurant News to talk big trends and how Dallas fits in. We also bought a ton of kombucha recently, and now we're going to taste it all to find out which ones aren't terrible. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and lots of food and drink stories. And you can always share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about big restaurant trends with Ron Ruggles. But right now, I'm joined by food writer Sarah Blaskovich, Claire Baller, and producer Julie Fist to talk about what's trending. So last week, Sarah, we got information that PETA would be driving a big squawking chicken truck to various Dallas chicken restaurants. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, um, said perfectly, Aaron. It's a truck that has pictures of chickens on the way to the slaughterhouse, and they play the sound of chickens squawking as they drive around. And what they said was they were going to start at AT&T's World Headquarters, which is in downtown Dallas, where the AT&T Discovery District is, which has a big food hall. There happens to be a chicken place inside the food hall and I think probably several vendors serve chicken things and then they pledged to go to five other chicken restaurants in Dallas and then hit about six in Fort Worth so this was between Thursday and Sunday of last week and so they didn't tell these restaurants that they were coming, right? I don't believe they did. And several of them heard about it from my news story. Yeah. And it seemed like we um, got some video of it also. And I think a lot of people watching the truck go by were very confused. Yeah. I mean, the idea is to tell people that this is gross and that you should go vegan. However, there was video in other cities of people's reactions. And like half of the people were like, I'm just hungry for chicken. <laughs> you know, so I don't think it works in every scenario, but it was certainly a talker. They realize this is Texas, right? Like we see trucks filled with livestock all the time. Yeah. But you know, Julie, the thing I didn't do was challenge PETA on what PETA thinks. That's not what this journalist did in that scenario for a lot of reasons. Good point. And so what kind of emails did you get on this, Sarah? Yeah, um, there were many. And the the best one was that someone said in the subject line, I am so disappointed in you, period. (laughs) And then they went on to explain that they were really sad that I talked about this on NBC. Every Thursday, I do a three to five minute segment about food news. And I mentioned this at the top of it. And this person just wanted me to know that by me saying this out loud, that it was giving PETA a larger platform to talk about their brand and about their beliefs. He thought that this was stupid and that I must as well. And what I told him, I'm just doing my job, man. It wasn't an opinion piece about whether PETA should be here or not be here. It was just simply where they will be. And in fact, the news story had bullet points. It will be at this place on this street from three to 5 p.m. 
on this day. Take that for what you will. Go there if you want to see the trucker, if you want to see what it's like. Don't go if this makes you uncomfortable to be talked to by PETA folks who may make you feel uncomfortable just being the messenger here. And so I explained it to this guy. And the thing I love is when a human talks to another human about their job, usually the human comes back to say, Oops. So this guy who was very disappointed in me wrote back to say he appreciated the other things that I do. I like how he said it. Like he was like your dad. Like he's very disappointed. No, it was very, <laughs> it felt personal. I mean, I opened it to be sure I didn't know him. Right. You know, like a friend or a family member is very disappointed in me. Um, I don't know this guy, but we did become friends by the end, which is one that reason. happens, yeah. I love to email with people, especially if they don't like what I'm doing. Because gosh, nine times out of 10, we can usually end up in the same spot. And this was a good example of that. But I just want everybody to know, I got no dog in the fight with PETA and where they go and what they do, but it is my job to report food news in Dallas. And I think that one was particularly important to our audience because they were going to restaurants that we cover a lot. You know, we talk a lot about what journalists should and shouldn't do. And I'll say that uh, if we are writing stories that people want to read and informing them about their community, that story was the number one story on DallasNews.com on the mm-hmm. day it was written. That's proof that it should have been done because people cared. Okay, moving on to another trend that we've been noticing lately. Sarah, you've written about a few new Australian restaurants. I know. Is this a thing? Aaron, it could be a thing. I heard you refer to it as a boomlet, which is the most perfect word to describe a thing that's almost a thing, but we're not really sure if it's a thing yet. Right. Yes. We have an existing restaurant owned by Australian folks called Isla & Co., and it's in the Bishop Arts District. There's Aussie Grind in Frisco, of course, and I think it's expanding, Uh right, Aaron? Tell us where. Uh, They're expanding to Farmer's Branch with a second location in a few months. And then we have this new place that's opening in what used to be known as the Quadrangle in Dallas. We're going to now call it the Quad because it's been Mm. being renovated and this is the new name, but it's going to be called Two Hands and it's an Australian cafe. They do kind of this all day cafe thing with coffee in the morning, but then brekkie, which is like breakfast most of the day. And then usually a little bit of a finer dinner that's not fancy. LDU is also Australian owned, isn't it? Yeah, perfect. There's another example. And LDU has, gosh, four or five locations where they're serving coffee in DFW. So yeah, I don't know that Australian people opening restaurants is quite a high level thing yet. We have lots of different kinds of people opening lots of different kinds of restaurants, but these are specifically trying to bring Australian culture, whatever you think that to be, to the the feeling of the restaurant too. And that goes for LDU and Two Hands and Aussie Grind and Isla. So what makes something Australian? Like, how is Australian food different? It's a good question, and I don't know that I can answer that. I've asked this question of the Isla & Co. owner, and he says... First of all, Australia is a place of many cuisines because it's a place of all kinds of different people. That's kind of your non-answer answer. The other thing I think is this all-day casual cafe thing where coffee is possibly drank all day. There are cocktails midday to in the evening and then brekkie all day if you want it. But yeah, what specific dishes? I think there are a couple that most Australian cafes have and then everything else is up to the interpretation of the chef. Also in, in Australia, I think like coffee culture is like a big deal. The flat white originated in Australia, I believe. It seems almost like a vibe mm-hmm. rather than like a cuisine. Right. Like we're just going to hang here all but day like and be a chill. a lowercase V vibe. Yes. Not an uppercase V yes, vibe. Yes, no, no, no. Which is different. It's not vibe that's, dining. That's sparklers <laughs> and dry ice, that's, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do any of you guys remember Olivia Newton-John's store Koala Blue? Mm-mm. I don't remember that. I remember Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> I like Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, why didn't we mention Outback Steakhouse at the top of his Australian <laughs> boomlet? Just kidding. But I mean, it, it does need to be mentioned, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Can I, I say that that Bloomin' Onion is delicious? It's really good. I yeah. don't know if I've had one in 10 years, but gosh, that thing's good. And then I learned through some stupid news story that it's super bad for you. Of course it is. <laughs> of course, it's like just fried hell. My sister. It's a fried vegetable. 
my sister had her birthday dinner at Outback Steakhouse this year. Oh, recently? <laughs> recently, yes. And we were laughing because I had said recently, I have been craving a Bloomin' Onion and the uh, the salad. They've got a really good salad at Outback Steakhouse. And your sister was like, a year in luck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about experiential dining and how that's a trending thing, like Outback was kind of it back in the 90s. Totally. You know, uh, I wonder if so fondue will come I'm back. I'm from Arizona, as you know. Sorry. Yeah. Texas Roadhouse was like a cultural experience. This is so fun. Yeah. And did you feel like you were in Texas, whatever that might be like when yeah, you were not there? Yeah, I didn't know there? what that meant because I had never really been to Texas. Yeah, but that's it was so like, great. To me, I thought of growing up as a kid, Outback Steakhouse and Texas Roadhouse were like the same thing, just different cultures. That's not wrong. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so another thing we've been talking about recently, I sent out my newsletter last week and asked people about their favorite neighborhood restaurant because I know last week's podcast, we sort of lamented, you know, the loss of the neighborhood restaurant in favor of a lot of these big restaurants coming in. And I got so many responses. It was lovely to see like how many people have their own favorite neighborhood restaurant where people know them and they have their regular orders. So I'm just going to read a few. Let's see. Sue's was on there several times. Um, same with the Lover's Seafood, Bar None, East Dallas. Then we have uh, Le Bill Bouquet, Princey on Royal, Nona was on there, Fish City Grill, Avanti, and North Point Cafe in Denton. Mm. Um, and I had not heard of that place yet, so I'm gonna have to check it out. But that sort of brings a question, like what is a neighborhood restaurant to you guys? To me, it's it's one of those places that you're not exactly sure like when it opened or how long it's been there. It just kind of feels like it always has been there. Um, and a place that I think you can walk in and know people's names because often the staff has been around for a while too. And to me, the best ones are like made by and for the people living in direct proximity to it. Uh, oftentimes, I, I think the, the best little spots like that, you talk to the owners and they live down the street. But yep. to me, they're just, they're cozy spots that you feel like you can just show up exactly as you are. Yeah, I agree with you totally, Claire. And I think that price has something to do with my view of a neighborhood restaurant. It's affordable. You go in the middle of the week with your kids and your kids are welcome. Now, I think this phrase neighborhood restaurant is at odds with how I think of neighborhoods in Dallas. I know we've lamented maybe the potential loss of the neighborhood restaurant but I think today and in the future, Dallas has incredible neighborhood restaurants. And when I use that phrase, I mean that we have many excellent neighborhoods that are very different from one another that have restaurants that feel very specifically placed in those spots. So there's a lot of restaurants in Preston Hollow that people in Preston Hollow eat at and love and are maybe not known by folks outside of that area. You go to Oak Cliff and somebody who lives in Oak Cliff loves the restaurants in Oak Cliff. Same with Highland Park, same with East Dallas. I think that that when you get inside those neighborhoods, though, it kind of then the price point depends, right? So I think we really excel at neighborhood restaurants if it comes to restaurants with a neighborhood identity. But once you get into those neighborhoods, where can you spend uh, 40 or $50 for a family and have a really excellent meal? That is a different question and maybe wouldn't be the same list of neighborhood restaurants. Another thing I want to say is that Nick Badavinas created neighborhood services in several neighborhoods of Dallas, and that place is too expensive for my family to eat once a week, right. but was long hailed as an excellent neighborhood restaurant and was given the darn name neighborhood services because of it. Yeah. And it's kind of so a bad me- example. Well, it kind of reminds me of Homewood. Like Homewood to me is very neighborhoody feeling, but special. So it's like neighborhood plus restaurant. Well, and here's the thing. 
it is in or near Highland Park. Right. Could it be an every Tuesday spot for someone who lives in Highland Park? And is it their neighborhood restaurant? That's true. Possibly. Is it my neighborhood restaurant or yours? Probably not. But we yeah. also don't live in the neighborhood. And it might have something to do with like stage of life. Because sure. um, like one of my favorite neighborhood places is RM 1220, which is famously not kid friendly. <laughs> That's right. And uh, but we don't have small children. So it's very common for Dave and I to go and sit at the bar and have a couple drinks and eat the mussels and split a meal, you know, so that is our favorite neighborhood place. But it was very different five years ago when we were taking our kids to Shady's or someplace like, yep. like that where you needed something more affordable where the kids could drop something on the floor and you wouldn't get scalped at. Yeah, great point. That's um, kind of the point that I'm at right now where I'm in need of some more toddler friendly neighborhood spots. And I'm like, man, in Europe, at least in my time living in Italy, everything's centered around piazzas, right? And so you have your little restaurants and bars that are kind of circling around this piazza. And there, the families, like the, the parents will sit and be drinking wine and dining as the kids just kind of run around the piazza. And I'm like, where is a place like that here in Dallas where I can sit and have a calm environment and enjoy a glass of wine and let my kid run free. I have an excellent, really not the same option. Okay. <laughs> in Grandscape, in the colony, okay. which is not where you live. No. There's a huge turf in the middle of that thing with like a stage at the end. And there's a pizza place and a couple other places near it. Now, this ain't no Italy, Claire, but <laughs> my children have run out there while I sat on the patio and drank wine and watched it happen. That but, sounds great. You know, like, welcome to Dallas. We'll, we'll give you a turf on top of some concrete. You know, I think there's the same kind of setup at where Connie Rosso just opened oh. at Hillcrest and Arapahoe. This is part of the reason it broke my heart when Laduni closed at North Park Mall because you could sit out on the patio at Laduni and you can still sit on the patio at Breadwinners and let your kids go nuts out there and play hide and go seek and run around in that, um, what would you call that? It's like a patio park. What's the Dallas version of a piazza? A piazza. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes. In the, cor- in the courtyard. Part. In the courtyard. Thank you. And, um, and that's, I mean, we spent several bottles of wine out there with friends letting the kids play while we would hang out on the patio was great. You know, I think we're trying, but I I think that restaurant culture here is just different than the one you're explaining, Claire, and I want it. I know. To me, I'm like, that would be my ideal kind of neighborhood restaurant where I can, there can be a space for me and my toddler who gets into everything. Okay. Well, thanks guys. And thank you all for sharing your favorite neighborhood restaurants with us. We'll definitely be um, keeping our eye on new ones opening as well as everyone's favorites. Stick around. We're going to talk with Ron Ruggles about how Dallas fits into the national restaurant scene. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We are here today with special guest Ron Ruggles of Nation's Restaurant News. He's based here in Dallas, and he's covered the restaurant industry since 1992, writing for the Dallas Morning News, New York Times, Food Network, and more. So, Ron, tell us a little bit about your job. It's so fascinating to us here. Well, it's a great job, but I write more about the business than Uh actually getting out, trying new restaurants, though I get a lot of that on the side. But I know all the big players like McDonald's, Wendy's, 
Brinker is based here, which mm-hmm. has chilies, of course, founded locally. So it's uh, covering the restaurant business, acquisitions, mergers, trends. And it seems like that's a very active industry to cover, yes. Boy, the pandemic has been amazing. I mean, it's... Uh, Restaurants got hit because nobody was able to go to them for several months, and the recovery has been a real challenge. And so where is the restaurant growth right now? It's growing really well. We were just talking earlier about the segments that seem to be really popular right now are the ones that people are wanting to gather together and do something besides eating. So you're seeing a lot of uh, pickleball, a lot of trampoline, a lot of shuffleboard places opening up. But you're also seeing a lot of fine dining. Dallas is uh, attracting a lot of big players from outside. We were talking about Carbones uh, coming from New York. Mm -hmm. A lot of big chains are coming in. Yeah, what do you think about that, Ron? You know, we're seeing all these businesses that have all this glitz in Vegas and other cities, but then there seems to be some of that moving into Dallas. What do you think about that? Well, I think uh, glitz is definitely part of the new way that people are consuming restaurants. They want dinner and a show. And the show can be defined either as a pickleball game or something of entertainment-wise or even just a lovely, lavish uh, environment. That seems almost in contradiction to the fact that we are facing record inflation right now and that a lot of people are scaling back on certain spending. Do you think that that kind of dining has staying power? Does it seem like even all things considered financially, people are, are really interested in this? As part of the uh, the economy right now, you're seeing recession affect people across the economic strata in different ways. I was looking at car. I've not been to Carbones yet, but their menu, I mean, there are, there are steaks on their menu that are close to $100. Or if you want to buy something for two, it's well over $100. So some people are able to afford it, some people not. Oh, and what was it that you tweeted um, the other day about the local bar that had one cigarette on the menu for $3? (laughs) That's the Clifton. Yes, the Clifton Club. I have not been there, but I was looking at the menu that was posted online, and they offered one Marlboro Light cigarette for $3, (laughs) which if you think uh, a pack of cigarettes in Texas now is between $8 and $9, that's 45 cents a cigarette. That's a pretty good return on the investment for that cigarette. I loved your tweet, Ron, and it had me thinking, I've not bought a pack of cigarettes, so I couldn't really reckon without doing some research whether $3 a cigarette was a good price or not. It (laughs) seemed expensive to me, but I was like, well, I don't know how much a pack costs these days, you know, so. It's like an egg. Is it it the same inflation (laughs) as eggs right now? (laughs) But I have found cheap eggs. So uh, Sprouts had some for like $3.99, which I bought a lot of eggs. Let yeah. Me tell you. <laughs> yeah. About the eggs. It's funny you say that. Um, I feel as though the eggs I've been purchasing, we're big egg purchasers in our house are like sort of expensive, but this is nothing outrageous to me. Like the egg prices are not blowing my mind. I don't know if I'm going to the right grocery stores or if we live in the right part of the country, but I super love all the hilarious egg memes. And then I go to buy eggs and I'm like, is this such a big deal? I think you're right, Sarah, that it's not really here locally as much as it is like in other parts of the they country. Say Florida and California are really suffering. Egg yeah, prices. where it's like $10 a dozen, yeah. whereas a here lot. it's more like... Three to four. Well, so. I felt good because I'm not going to have to dye potatoes for Easter baskets this year. <laughs> <laughs>
My kids want the chocolate anyway, let's be honest. Yeah, no one really wants the eggs. I love all those like old traditions, but my, I mean, I did them once with my now six year old and I think she was like, what are we doing? This is weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so Ron, what have you heard about the tipping situation? Like, what are the expectations? Uh, Nationally, it varies from state to state because some states allow tip credit. My personal tipping is I want the service personnel that have suffered a huge amount during the pandemic to have a living wage. So I always tip 20%, fast, casual, above. Uh, Sometimes for quick service, if I do drive-through, maybe add a little bit, a dollar or two. But for drive-through, I usually don't. Service personnel have a lot of pressures on them. And I feel if I'm going to eat out, part of the cost of eating out is tipping generously. So I tip 20 to 25%. I think most people across the nation are doing the same. Uh, I I think it's becoming a no longer the 15% tip. Several companies have tried to go to a service uh, charge like they do in Europe. Uh, They have been unsuccessful Mm -hmm. because I think, one, the waiters do not like it because they make more money, oftentimes non-taxed through tipping, and the businesses have to figure out some way to provide an equitable payment for front of house and back of house. And so what other trends are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing a lot of independent restaurants. Uh, We're losing a lot of them because the pandemic was not good to the independent operator. It's if the pockets were deep and they had access to loans, the chains could make it. And I think that may be why you're seeing more of those name brands come into Dallas is they have the money. So I think you're going to find independent restaurant tours having a more difficult time, which is sad because that's where a lot of the innovation in the restaurant industry occurs. It's the small mom and pops that do something interesting. Uh, I I think you're going to lose a lot of that and it's going to become a more homogenous I have a question about rent in Dallas. I think people anecdotally say that it's cheaper to get a good storefront here in Dallas than it is in L.A. or New York. But can you shed any light on how easy or not easy it might be to get a a good space to run a restaurant in Dallas versus other cities? Kind of depends, actually. Uh, A lot of developers are willing to offer finish out, which makes it cheaper for the restaurant to get into those spaces. But a real estate is still going to be expensive. Everybody's expecting it to be a little bit cheaper because of the pandemic. It isn't. Everybody finds real estate to be a real challenge. I was talking to uh, the CEO of Portillo's, which just opened up in the Grandscape. That's a very expensive piece of real estate. Really? But they've got a big uh, operation and they're doing probably $8 million. So... Wow. That's interesting that um, when I think of expensive real estate, I think certainly Dallas proper. And then I think, you know, the pockets of Dallas that tend to have a huge foodie restaurant zone, you know, so Knox Street, Lower Greenville, Deep Ellum, Highland Park. I wouldn't have thought that the real estate in the colony, not knowing what it is, I wouldn't have thought that that was competitive or expensive. That's very interesting. It's probably going to be cheaper than than inner city real estate, but you're also seeing a lot of churn in inner city real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, restaurants just can't make it at those prices. And so what, um, you know, in your knowledge, can independent restaurateurs do to sort of compete 
other than just like have more money. <laughs> such a good business strategy. I know, that's, that, that's always the I need way that I one go. in life. I need more money. I don't know, Aaron. I think that's a good business strategy for us all <laughs> is to have more money. Uh, innovation. I, I think innovation still trumps everything. If something is really innovative, I think it'll take off. I did eat at the Ram here in downtown Dallas, and they offer a steakhouse experience that's a little bit different. In fact, one of the best desserts I had all of last year was a Paloma cheesecake at the Ram. Oh, great. It's uh, imperial grapefruit slices on top of a cheesecake. That sounds great. Can I ask you a tacky question about going to the Brass Ram? Yes. How much did you spend? I was not paying for the meal. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Even better. Uh, so I'm sure a lot was spent. A couple hundred dollars a person? Oh, probably easily. That's been my experience, too. And it's such a cool place. I really like it. Um, it is pricey. Yep. Part but of the experience. I, I think you're finding that uh, occurring across the restaurant industry. Grocery prices went up. With labor inflation, commodity costs, and rent going up, restaurants are having to make the change. Easily now, I can spend $40, $50 on a meal going out, which it used to be 25 Yep. Yeah, I think I spent maybe $50 ordering halal guys. Oh, wow. For your family? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, so there's the delivery fees and then the tipping, and it was like 50 bucks. I'm like, wow. I think it saved the restaurant industry. The fact that they had delivery, third-party delivery during the pandemic when people couldn't mm-hmm. breathe other people's air. I mean, I went to a Popeye's and I washed my money with Lysol when I got mm-hmm. through the drive-through. This was early in the pandemic. Right. I broke my leg in March and I had, for three months, I couldn't leave the house. So I had to rely on third-party delivery, which I did every night. I don't know how people afford it. So I think there's going to be a pushback, especially if there is something in the economy that gets a little shaky. And I think people are starting to be a little concerned about that now. Well, and we should also mention that delivery, while it saved a lot of restaurants, is not super lucrative for the restaurant itself either. Those who are using the big guys, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Caviar, are giving a percentage, a huge percentage most of the time back to those third-party delivery apps. So we're bearing the big cost, but then the restaurant is still handing some money over, you know, sort of out the door to the left. It all means an expensive experience that, yeah, sure, you're still ordering from that restaurant, but they really wish you would come in or somehow, you know, get your food from them without this other guy. And you're paying $15, the restaurant's paying 30% of whatever the check, check is. It, it adds up. Mm-hmm. So kind of talking about the food, what sort of cuisines are you seeing there's so much Italian. Uh, yes. <laughs> Every other yes. restaurant is so Italian. I just got Italian. an announcement today for another Italian <laughs> mm-hmm. place in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Italian is going to be, it continue to be big. One, is cheap for the restaurant operator for the most part because mm, pastas uh, are rather reasonable and they can keep the cost low for the consumer. But I think chicken, I think you're going to see chicken everywhere. Uh, <laughs> chicken, hot chicken, chicken nuggets, chicken, chicken, chicken. It just... <laughs> Just don't try to buy their eggs if you're in California yeah. or Florida. No ovas. No ovas. Yeah. 
kind of crazy to expect even more chicken. I, I, I kind of feel like we feel like we've chickened. Yes. Yes. And, and I, Italian. I feel like we've hit the ceiling, but I guess not. Nope. I think <laughs> you're going to see a lot more chicken. Did you guys see, I went to a place called Crimson Coward in Frisco and yes. I got a, it's a Nashville hot chicken place and I got a Nashville hot chicken sandwich. First of all, it was $18 for the combo meal before oh. tax tip, all that. And what came with the combo? Um, Fries and a drink. And the drink I learned after I got my cup was Pepsi products only and I don't even really drink soft drinks but when I do I kind of want like a diet coke and that was not an option it was a little tough but the the bait and switch right there I know I was it was like whiplash because I was like wow this is a lot of money oh I can't drink anything I want to drink okay but the chicken sandwich was like half a chicken breast and then most of it was under a bun but some was sticking out like a tongue I thought this was a mistake and I took pictures of it and I posted it on Twitter. I just thought, what are we right here? And then I learned that this is a thing at Crimson Coward. This is how they construct their sandwiches. But I was so confused by it that I I tore off the tongue like chicken because I was like, this mustn't be the way a chicken sandwich is supposed to be. And then I ate some of the chicken sandwich as is with like the discarded chicken on the side as if I wanted a large nugget. (laughs) <laughs> but I didn't want the large nugget. And I was so dissatisfied with the whole thing that I ate a couple of bites and just left. Um, that was my crowning chicken moment most recently. It was like, what is happening with chicken? Ron, well, Ron just needs to see the picture of this. So here is Sarah's tweet, and here is the photo that she tweeted. So, okay, that is a big tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I doesn't it just look like they went like, this lady looks nice. We're going to give her the biggest chicken ever. Oops, it doesn't fit on the bun at all, but it's going to be fine. Like, that's what I thought happened. And then it's like, no, this is how they chicken sandwich. Do you think they think that's value, uh, perception of value? I do. I do think that. But as a, as a person who puts food in my mouth and not somewhere else, I, I held it and was like, how do you and why and where? Yeah, I think um, restaurants are trying to differ it differentiate themselves and just very, very... Well, especially if you're if you're a chicken restaurant, now. you have to. I mean, they're a dime a dozen. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any, like, war stories, Ron, about, like, odd or interesting food that you've eaten? Uh, as far as interesting things, I have eaten probably more offal than anyone should. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of offal. I was raised on liver and onions, and I still hate it to this day. But I love pate, so... Me too. Who goes? (laughs) Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, As far as interesting things, I have eaten uh, worms, ants, uh, crickets cockroaches what? and grasshoppers. You lost me at cockroaches. Do you have like, a what? favorite in that list? <laughs> or they all kind of fall together? Bugs are, they say, are going to be the food of the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and so many, I mean, so many cultures rely heavily on them. At the uh, restaurant show about three years ago, they were offering cricket chips, uh, mm-hmm. bags of cricket chips. And it was, the sponsor was a uh, exterminator. <laughs> no. <laughs> My God. Wait, can, can you build those cricket chips for me? Was it a flattened cricket? Uh, it was, it was a, uh, no, it was a. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cricket flour. Like someone stepped made, on it. Got made it. Made into a, uh, what looked like a Tostito. A, uh, oh, sure. Tri- okay. A triangular uh, a chip. chip. Okay. Yeah, I had them flattened, and then maybe you could still see the outline of the cricket, and then deep fried. <laughs> like somebody had stepped on it. No. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ron. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we'll be tasting a whole bunch of booch. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, listeners. This is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. 
If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. Welcome back, everyone. I'm back with Sarah, Claire, and Julie for our first tasting of 2023. Since it's still dry January, alcohol alternatives have been top of mind. And we've talked about tea, zero-proof cocktails, and now kombucha. And I just have to say, guys, since I am like the crunchy mom of the group, I guess, this was my assignment. Um, And I have to apologize to the cashier at Sprouts when I bought all of these (laughs) bottles of kombucha. I was like, we're doing a kombucha tasting at work, in case you were wondering. (laughs) I'm not weird. I'm sure everybody was like, okay. Yeah, she was just like, okay, I don't care about your life. Yeah. I just felt the need to explain why I bought one of every single brand of kombucha. She's like, this lady's going through something. I don't know. So I bought maybe 12 different brands of kombucha. And I think I've chosen about six that we want to try because I don't think we really want to try 12. That would be a lot. But I kind of focused on the brands that I think are really popular. And there are a lot of local and Texas ones in here. And I didn't get any ginger because I know Sarah doesn't like ginger. While we taste, I'm going to judge them by what they call the flavor. Okay. okay. Serenity does not belong in an explanation <laughs> of a name of a drink. But the name of the brand is Synergy. Synergy Strawberry Serenity. Get out of here. <laughs> Synergy is the brand that I usually buy. That's what I usually yeah. drink whenever uh, I'm drinking. Because kombucha, it replaces my glass of wine while I'm cooking dinner. Oh, that's nice. Think, yes. Just heads up. I think the brand is GT's. Well, cool. Well, so kombucha is made from tea, usually black tea. So it is a tea product. That is usually sugared and then it's fermented using bacteria and yeast. Um, You'll hear things called the SCOBY or the mother, but that's what it is fermented. So there is a teeny bit of alcohol in it. You don't have to show your ID when you buy them. It's Mm. low enough. But I did see a couple on shelves that were like ID required for this one. Whoa. Yeah. So just FYI, there is a tiny amount of alcohol in them. And since it's made from tea, it does have caffeine. But they're sort of known to be good for the gut because they're fermented. Also, if you haven't been drinking kombucha, it's really best to start slowly. Those are just the words, words of warning. And now we're going to taste like a ton of them. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm primed. It's okay. I love kombucha. I drink it very frequently. Okay, great. So these are the brands I bought. So my favorite that I usually buy, and we have written about them before um, because they're a local company and it's called Holy Kombucha. The flavor that I got is blood orange. So y'all want to try that one first? Yep. Yes. Okay, great. Just as a tangential thing, I'm curious about the calories in these. This, the Holy Kombucha, is eight fluid ounces serving size. There are two servings per container and 20 calories per serving. Wow, so pretty low. Yeah, not a lot at all. Okay. (laughs) So these are also fizzy. So just FYI, when you're opening them, they they do fizz. So are, have you ever poured something out of a bottle before, Erin? We've never been poured, a server. Just yeah, okay. just pass. You're a mom, right? Whoa. A little bit goes a long way. This is like pouring champagne. Yeah, it is. It smells like we're decorating Easter eggs. <laughs> the vinegar from that. It does. Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe because I'm doing dry January or damp January, I smell like a champagne or rosé. Erin, it looks like you brought out a spit cup. Yeah. I did. Oh. I brought out a spit <laughs> cup. <laughs> Y'all, so y'all can pour or spit. <laughs> Not, please don't spit. I've done this before. <laughs> so if we have like three or four cups of this, does that mean that we're going to be drunk? Maybe. Oh God. That's why I put a teeny tiny bit and, and you can pour the rest in this There's other not cup. that much alcohol in them. Uh, no, no, no. There's no. not. Yeah. Here we go. Oh, please. Someone use the spit cup. I'm I dying mean, with to abandon. see this. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
That's nice. I like it. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm a I'm a Bucha fan. So oh, okay. So and Claire, you drink a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. And Sarah, but you're but you haven't had a lot of kombucha. Correct. I don't love a vinegar forward drink unless it's more like a shrub in a cocktail. So I can get with the idea. It takes me toward cocktail land. Like I wouldn't drink this in the middle of the day because that's not when you drink cocktail like things. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I have poured kombucha in like a coupe before. And you can do mixers in kombucha too. Like I think a lot of bartenders use kombucha for their non-alcoholic or low alcohol drinks that they make. I think this is a good one for someone who probably has not had m- much kombucha because it's a little bit on the milder side. Okay, so the second one I got to try is another um, Texas brand called Cosmic Kombucha. And this one I see a lot at Whole Foods. Um, This one is made in Austin. And the flavor I got sounds pretty cool, actually. It's called Texas Blues with blueberries, basil, lime, and agave. Ooh, so good antioxidants. That sounds delicious. Do y'all think this stuff actually does anything for you? Do you believe in the health benefits? Yeah, I do. Because when I drink it and I do enjoy it a great deal, it really just feels like it's tearing up my stomach. <laughs> it just makes my stomach gurgle a lot. And then that's kind of it. Well, it's like uh, similar principles is why yogurt is good for your gut. The gut flora, which <laughs> might be one of my words. Like, that's a band name right there. <laughs> gut flora. <laughs> it's a feisty one. Yes. Cosmic Dang. kombucha. The guys, feistiest so far. Guys, that's what we're putting in our body. That's a volcano. <laughs> this thing full of bubbles. And we're supposed to be thinking it's going to make our tummies feel better, Julie. I know. That's why I'm like, is this really good Should we not drink that one? Is that too much? (laughs) I want to try it. It smells very good. It's just extra fermenty. Says this is a living and unpasteurized product, so you may find bits of the culture in your drink. Ooh, there's lots of little bits in there. Ew. Ew. (laughs) That's part of the culture. (laughs) I think those are blueberries. I think there are blueberries, too. I think... I think, yeah. Yeah, let's just keep telling ourselves that. It does look like dirt for anyone listening, (laughs) but I don't think it is. I think that's like the sweetest kombucha I've ever had. It's very funny. Both of you said different things, and I got yet a third thing, like a breath full of basil. Yeah. Herbaceous. I think that's delicious. It is really good. I like the basil in it. And maybe the sugar is what made it so fizzy. I don't know. Maybe high sugar content. Although, interestingly, it is not super fizzy in the mouth. It's That's true. Yeah, I think this is a good gateway. As not yeah, much of a yeah. kombucha drinker, this doesn't read like a strong vinegar drink. Okay, so this is another brand that um, is pretty popular. I've seen it at a lot of um, grocery stores. And this is GT's. This is their Synergy Raw Kombucha. And this flavor is Strawberry Serenity. Nope. And, other, <laughs> and other things on the label say 9 billion living probiotics. Are we sure? So anyway. Again, just... just- <laughs> If this thing is on, are we sure we want 9 billion anythings in our body right now? <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay, I'm going to look at, I'm going to look this up. I'm going to look up the health benefits of kombucha. Like the the billions got me a little bit it's concerned. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. And so this one is made with black tea and green tea, kiwi juice, and strawberry juice. Mm. It also says, and 100% pure love. Oh. Get out. <laughs> no. No. That was According just for to who? That's something that needs to be fact-checked. Watch out, not over your computer. That needs to be fact-checked. <laughs> How do we test for that? I haven't tried it yet, but I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like the manipulation? I don't I don't like being told how to feel. It, it, it feels a little culty. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You know, like you don't actually love me. Right. You, know, you don't know me. There could not be serenity in here, but that's what the label says. Okay, so I'm going to pour this one. Ooh, it does smell very strawberry-y. 
Now, this is the brand that I always drink whenever I'm making dinner. And though I love it and I love the way it all tastes, it really just leaves me with a gurgly gut. Mm, So I, I don't know that... That's how you know it's working. Is it really? Yeah, okay, I don't know. So here, let me, let me tell all... you. This is what WebMD says, so okay. take or leave it. Fermented products in general are good for the microbiome and gut health. Fermentation makes probiotics, which help with diarrhea and irritable bowel syndrome, and they may even strengthen your immune system. When you read about the benefits of kombucha, there are a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of usage of the word may. So, Is this an MLM? <laughs> there probably is a kombucha A multi-level marketing company. Oh. I really like this. This is strawberry jam in a cup. Yeah. Yes. You took strawberry jam and you pour some topo on it. That's what this is. But not quite as sweet. That's not a compliment. I was, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, yummy. I mean, that's exactly what it tastes like. Maybe, I mean, I get if people want that. I don't want that. I like it. I thought it was going to be sweeter. We're definitely seeing some trends here. I like the things that aren't quite as sweet and that are more vinegary. Same. Sarah, vinegar, not so much in your yeah. wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to text everybody in like three or four hours and ask how your gut is feeling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. To me, it feels like it could have more bubbles and less flavor. Like almost like you could go half seas with mm. topo. Mm-hmm. It also, you know, could have vodka in it and that would cut it a little bit. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. So moving on, I found this one and Sarah, you might like these. This is called Greenbelt Craft Kombucha, also out of Austin. It is in a tall boy can, Ooh. and it's non-alcoholic, it says, and it's yopon kombucha, which is made with yopon leaves. It's a holly. Yeah, so it's not an actual tea. And so this brand, I noticed they have cocktail or wine names. Like this one is Grapefruit Paloma. And Ooh. there were a few I see others what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that were like Chardonnay, you know, so they were really going, I think, for that market. I have brought this one to several like outdoor picnic concerty function things when I want to drink but don't want alcohol. Very cool. Ooh. Ooh, I will say that it looks pretty in the can. And um, if you're trying to not drink without like making a whole thing, because sometimes people that you're with make mm-hmm. it a thing. This seems like a yeah. fine option given the way it looks. Now, this one smells like beer to me. Uh-huh. Mm. I don't like that. Blech. Oh, yeah. It's very hoppy. Oh, this I like. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the grapefruit. I like grapefruit things. I love a Paloma. I like a salty dog. It's got to be the Yopon or something. There's something very green in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably that. That's a great way to put it, Julie. Yeah, and I think I think it's supposed to kind of imitate drinking beer a That's little disgusting. bit. That's disgusting. I can't believe you like this. This totally gives me the feeling that I'm having a some kind of... Alcoholic something on a patio. Yeah, and I like it, but I agree, Julie. There's like a little bit of an aftertaste. That green like sticks around oh, the yeah. back of your throat. It's like you're being beaten by a Yopon holly bush. <laughs> Just, oh, I'm offended by this. How many times more should we or could we say Yopon? And we're also here with Annabelle Koskinos. She is our SMU journalism fellow Hi. for the semester, and she is tasting with us. Um, I think it tastes exactly like a grapefruit white claw. So I feel like it could be a good alternative for someone who wants to drink a white claw, but an alcohol free white claw. Pro tip. I think this is why I like this. Now I'm realizing (laughs) I think a grapefruit white claw is one of the more superior white claw flavors. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on. Let's see two more. So we might be drunk by the time. I know. Do y'all feel anything? (laughs) I feel totally loopy about all of this. I really do. Okay, so this is Health Aid Kombucha. I see this one a lot. This bottle looks medicinal to me. Yes. And it's made with um, blueberry puree, 
red raspberry puree and organic kombucha. I have a friend who makes his own kombucha and he has the mother, you know, and he keeps Mm -hmm. it in a cupboard in his kitchen and it is delicious. I mean, he's the person who turned me on to kombucha, but that thing looks so nasty when you pull it out. It's like a monster. too intimidating for me. I could never do that. My ADD would not allow it. Like I can barely keep plants alive. You know, like I would forget about it and it would turn into something really, really bad. Yeah. It turns into like the last of us, you know? Yes. Like the mushroom people coming after <laughs> it you. Would start climbing out from underneath the cabinet. Yes. I'd be like, oh yeah, that. I, I do like that. this, Julie, though. I didn't think that you could make this at home. That hadn't landed with me yet. And I grew up with a dad who homebrewed. And so I like that. Yeah. Chris Morris, you're getting a shout out. And that one bites back. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> So this is berry lemonade and it's very lemony. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. This is not the vinegar taste that really gets me. It's that lemon pucker at the back of your mouth mm-hmm. that made me go, ooh. I like that. Yeah, this is really good. It's not for me. It's too tart, too lemony. And then, you know, you get all that added with the vinegar makes me feel like my teeth are rotting. But mm-hmm. But I think if you love kombucha, this right, Claire, has like the right flavors. Kind of. This actually, though, I do like the flavor profile of it. But this one and this brand always kind of falls flat for me. Um, okay, so this is our last one. I have more, but let's just go with this one. Let's just end here. This is a Brew Doctor kombucha, and I got the superberry flavor, which is raspberry, blueberry, goji berry, and oolong tea. It's interesting with all that fruit. I don't taste any of it. Yeah. Oh, I don't It doesn't like have that. a lot of flavor. What's it called? Superberry? Yeah. Superberry. Oh. I'm not a fan of this one. The goji berry edition made me go, uh-oh. <laughs> Why? Like, I don't know. You had like acai and goji berry and I'm like, we're going down a road. I don't want to join you on. Oh, okay. So the tasting notes that it tells that it offers on the back of the bottle for this one. High on the fruity, no spicy, little bit of floral and no herbal. Does it say meh? Mm. And it's kind of interesting, Sarah, you saying that about like the superfoods and stuff like that, because there's a whole other section of the kombucha area of the store that is kombucha plus. There's like chaga mushrooms and extract of this, all very wellnessy stuff. And so I just kept it to just really the pure kombucha with flavors because there's a big debate in the health and wellness industry about microdosing. Is microdosing going to be our next taste test? Uh, it is something I would do for work if you would like me to. <laughs> microdosing mushrooms? Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring the black light. <laughs> yeah, after watching Nine Perfect Strangers, I'm in. <laughs> What I will say about the the health food thing that you're mentioning, Erin, I'm glad you didn't bring those because I do think that's that's like a step to the side of what we think we're trying to learn about kombucha today. Right. Um, and also... Me, the eater, and I I think everybody has different opinions on this, but like I like to eat whole foods. I think that's a great way to ingest food. And so if somebody wants to eat superfoods, that's fine. But my personal thought is then eat the food. I don't think I want it in a fermented drink with other things in it and a plus sign at the end of the brand name. You know, if you want to eat acai berries, eat them. I would love to hear from someone who had gut issues and started drinking kombucha and felt that they really benefited because so far I do feel like it's kind of a just a healthy trend. I think part of the health benefit too lies in the fact that this is an alternative if you are someone who is heavy soda drinker and you're trying to move away from that Mm -hmm. or you're trying to swap out some of your alcoholic drinks during the week with something else. So I think that's part of this is that this is an alternative that is, as we've seen in the ones that we tried today, super diverse in options. And it gives you a drink that has a little more excitement to it than just drinking a Topo Chico or something like that. That's a really good point. It's something that it it gives as opposed to taking away. Do we all (laughs) want to pick a favorite? Yeah, I want to know what everyone's 
favorite one was, especially you, Sarah, which one was your favorite? As a non-kombucha drinker, if yeah. you had to drink one, which one would you pick? So first of all, I would never finish an entire one of these in three weeks. I want a couple sips and I like it, but I don't, I couldn't see myself getting to the bottom of one. But if I have to pick a favorite, I'm going with the Greenbelt Craft Kombucha from Austin. Um, the grapefruit Paloma flavor, it does taste like a grapefruit White Claw. Like that's the worst to me. Yeah, Julie hates it. I hated that. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Sarah? <laughs> it is so interesting how we all have very, very different reactions to things. Yeah. yeah. Which one did you like? I really liked the Synergy Strawberry Serenity. Get out of here. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think that's fine, but the name is dumb. Can we yes. all agree that? Yeah. No, yeah. that's my favorite too. But I did sort of like the strawberry jam flavor to it. That's your favorite too, Julie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was my favorite as well. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. Annabelle, did you have a favorite? I like the strawberry serenity as well. Well, that's what everybody needs to buy except me. <laughs> that's great. One we didn't get to is oh, Buddha's brew. Buddha's brew, and that is an Austin-based one. Oh, that's shoot. a great one for people to try if anyone wants to try kombucha and wants another local option. Okay, Buddha's brew. You can find it at most grocery stores. Let's go drink the rest of these in the back of my car and just <laughs> see if we get giggly. <laughs> I think we're already there. Booch. Um, if anyone else has any dry January ideas for us to try or anything else you guys want us to do a taste testing on, please email us at eatrink at alicenews.com. But be kind. <laughs> yes. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrink at alicenews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, Drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.